Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. We have really, really exciting news for all of you today. We have a new puff. You know her from two episodes ago when we talked about swan attacks and conga lines and weddings at the (laughs) Independence Inn. And fungus. And fungus. So give it up for our new puff, Evo. Hello. Eva, would you like to introduce yourself and say a little bit about who you are, your history with Gilmore Girls, or really just whatever you want? Yeah, so not to repeat myself too much from the last time that I rang this bell, but I'm Ebo, also known as Emily in professional circles. I am a Gilmore Girls super fan. I watch it a lot, put it in the background just for some background noise, have been watching since like 2007-ish. A fun Gilmore Girls fact about me that I did not reveal last time is that one of the reasons why I did really well in Spanish class in high school is because I used to watch Gilmore Girls with Spanish subtitles when I would rewatch it. And so that's how I got really good at the language structure. (laughs) That's such a good idea. Thank you. Sorry. Gracias. (laughs) De nada. Did I ever tell you that I followed a Gilmore Girls fan account that tweeted in Portuguese for a while? And I was like kind of convinced that I was learning Portuguese just by reading the tweet. You didn't tell me that, but it did show up in my Twitter timeline because you liked their tweets. They're not tweeting anymore. I hope they're doing well. Yeah, the Gilmore Girls Portuguese fan account that I used to follow, I hope everything is good for you. Please come back to Twitter because I did enjoy your posts, or at least I think I did. What little I understood. So Eva, we're really, really excited to have you. Do you have a character you most identify with? I mean, if we're being honest, I think I identify most with one of Rory's sweetmates from when she goes to Yale. I like definitely have big Tana energy. You don't have Tana energy? I like think I do though. I think the fact that you think you have Tana energy proves that you are not Tana. <laughs> If oh, you're right, because that, that implies some self-awareness. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you have Emily Gilmore energy, because I think that's your favorite character. I don't know if I have a favorite. I, mm, let's circle back to this at the end. <laughs> let, me, let, let me stew on this. All right, and Catherine, too, because I don't think we've ever had the favorite character discussion. So do you have one? Start, or start thinking. Well, do you have one? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess Lorelai. Yeah. Podcast resident Lorelai Defender, but also Emily and Richard. And Paris Geller, are you kidding? And (laughs) maybe Gil. Oh, (laughs) yeah. My character I spiritually connect with most, though, like if I'm being honest with myself, like you said, Evo, is TJ. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what role do I play in Stars Hollow? I'm TJ. I'm an an (laughs) escrow. I'm an escrow. TJ is a character that appears starting in season four, everyone. Maybe I'm Rune. No, you're not Rune. No, <laughs> <laughs> Rune and TJ are spiritual cousins. TJ is an improvement on Rune. He's like a Rune revision. 
I might connect with Jess now that I'm thinking about it. But, okay. uh, I love that for you. For better or for worse. In my teen years. <laughs> for our podcast heartthrob. <laughs> Evo and I are various handymen. Brown <laughs> stars hollow. So yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to questions of favorite characters. But as far as characters we identify with, I think those are some good choices. So today's a big day for us. As I alluded to last episode, this is the Max Medina Thunderdome. And I think all three of us have different opinions on the Max and Lorelai relationship, which will be a very productive conversation. Shall we start by doing what we did last time, which was an episode summary? Yes. So Lorelai and Rory's next door neighbors, Babette and Maury, have an extremely old cat named Cinnamon whose health is in decline. That's the cinnamon of the title, by the way, so spoiler alert. But there's also a lot of other stuff going on in this episode. Lorelai sees Rory's English teacher, Max, at the Chilton Bake Sale. And after he asks her out on a date and she can't decide whether she wants to go, they decide to meet at a coffee shop to talk more. Obviously, Lorelai is super worried about what Rory will think about her dating her teacher, especially since she's never brought a guy she's dated around Rory ever. So Lorelai and Max meet at the coffee shop and they have a little banter. And while Lorelai eventually agrees that yes, they should go on that date and they set it up for presumably like a few days from now, she's still pretty worried about whether or not she's doing the right thing. People, including Suki, keep telling her that, hey, it might be time to change the rules now that Rory's growing up and Lorelai has to figure out what her life is going to consist of after Rory's gone, but she's still worried. In fact, she's so concerned about what Rory is going to think that she puts off telling Rory about the date until everything else is eclipsed by the fact that Cinnamon the Cat, who has gotten sick from eating clams at Al's Pancake World, but who most importantly was just super old, dies. And so when that happens, the whole town holds awake for Cinnamon at Babette and Maury's, and in all the rush of putting it together, Lorelai forgets that her date with Max is the same night. And so Max shows up and Rory sees him there and Lorelai has to tell her that yes, she did have a date planned with Rory's teacher. Rory is understandably very upset uh, about both the dating my teacher thing and the fact that Lorelai kept this from her. Uh, Lorelai then goes over to tell Max that she can't make the date that night because it's a wait, but that she is interested in him and wants to reschedule. And after that, Rory has to confront her own feelings for the guy that she's interested in, Dean, because they've been kind of lightly stalking one another throughout the episode. And when he comes to the wake and tells her that he won't bother her anymore because he doesn't think that she's interested, she admits to him that, yes, she is into him. And then Rory and Lorelai go home where Rory tells her that, yeah, she's fine with Lorelai dating Max, which is something that we will debate extensively throughout this episode. So Catherine, do you want to do the segment about writer, director, producer, sort of behind the scenes of the episode? Yes, except that it's not that interesting. Don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> okay, well, it's kind of interesting. I'll start to start by saying this is written by Daniel Palladino. And um, this is the first Daniel Palladino episode, one of many, many to come. And Grace, you pointed out this kind of a controversial opinion to like the Daniel Palladino episodes. I also enjoy them. But we are also pro reboots, and I think he was heavily involved with the reboot. So he's heavily involved in the controversial reboot episode Summer. I think he wrote that one with the musical, which I like. Catherine's eh about, and I know Evo is a little eh about too. 
That's right. I forgot that he's responsible for the Stars Hollow musical. Once again, I would like to go on the record and say that I think the Stars Hollow musical is very funny. However, I know that that is a very hot take. I loved the reboot. I loved it like start to finish, but there was a moment in the midst of the musical where I was like, come on, guys. By a Um, moment, you mean like 11 minutes? (laughs) Have you guys ever seen the John Mulaney documentary now episode? Yes. Okay. I watch it in parallel with that a lot. And (laughs) I think it has kind of similar vibes, (laughs) like a different, okay, maybe a different feel, but they made up a fake musical. The performances are very good. The songs are ridiculous. I like to watch them as companion pieces. I'll have to revisit that in conjunction with (laughs) When we get to the revival, we can do some supplemental viewing. (laughs) Additional readings for the syllabus. But so, yeah, so that's the writer. And then the director, Michael Cattleman, he kind of made the rounds directing episodes of like WB shows. He produced quite a few season one Gilmore Girls. It just seems like he produced a lot. Like, I think I saw that he was involved in like that show True Calling. I think it was a, a WBCW show. He also directed, and I think he was like one of the creators of the new live action Cowboy Bebop. And I just thought that was like such a weird, um, like left turn from Gilmore Girls. So I just wanted to bring that up. Isn't that supposed to be absolutely terrible? I heard that also. <laughs> it got terrible <laughs> reviews. I liked the anime in high school. So I kind of wanted to see it for nostalgic purposes, but then... I don't know. I tried to rewatch the anime and I didn't really, wasn't really into it. So. Mm. Yeah. I I think the general consensus, I've never seen the original or the reboot, but I had heard the general consensus was just like, why? (laughs) So (laughs) I think he does a better job in this episode from what I've heard about his uh, future ventures. Cause we liked this episode, right? It feels closer to what like the stars hollow universe becomes. Yeah. I think this is like our first real entry into the Stars Hollow world, like our first real immersion into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why all of us reacted, maybe, I don't want to speak for you guys, but reacted so strongly positively to the episode. Yeah, I think last week I said that I felt like last week's episode was like the first episode that felt more like Gilmore Girls to me, but I'm going to change that to this episode. (laughs) I would say that this episode feels like real Gilmore Girls. And I think from this episode, on we start on a hot streak where it really feels like this is the show that we know yeah and I think this one too sets the stage for some of the like b plot dynamics so like it sets the ground for like Luke and Suki's relationship with each other and we get a little bit more back and forth between Emily and Lorelai closer to what it becomes later on and so I think that is like another huge piece of this one Speaking of Emily and Lorelai, do we want to start our episode discussion with that first scene, which is a really funny Emily and Lorelai moment? (laughs) Emily, Lorelai, and Rory at Friday night dinner, Richard is absent, which realistically means that this is one of the episodes that they couldn't pay Edward Herman to be in because he was too expensive. So he's on a business trip to Germany, which prompts Lorelai to say, oh, is dad visiting any Nazis? Emily's obviously like, no, he doesn't know any Nazis. But then Lorelai really annoys her by not coming to a funeral of someone who is tangentially related to her. So Emily is in the middle of eating dinner and is suddenly like, oh, it's Rudolf Gottfried. And Lorelai's like, who's that? Emily's like, oh, it's a Nazi that your father and I know. And Lorelai starts spouting off. And just like we talked about last week, and we said it's always really funnier 
delicious when Lorelai is really self-righteous and gets her comeuppance. Lorelai's like, that's despicable. That's heinous. And Emily says, no, my dear, that was a joke. Such a great moment. And it showcases Emily's wit, which I know we all love those, but these early moments when that, that happens and we get to see that Lorelai got that famous wit from um, not just Richard. And, you know, I don't think Richard's sense of humor has been developed yet either. So here we're just seeing it from, from Emily and it's an amazing moment. <laughs> I also think it's great that Rory absolutely starts cracking up when Emily like says the joke too. And Lorelai just gives her a death stare, like oh, such a great tiny moment there. Cause it's such a good joke. Like, of course, Rory's cracking up. This might be for later when we talk about fashion. I was so fixated on this brooch that Emily was wearing because it looked like a tacky starfish brooch that you would buy from like a gift shop on the beach, which Emily Gilmore does not go to the beach. She finds them disgusting. Not that she's told us that, but that feels very in line with her character. And so I was like, of course she would wear a brooch, but she would not wear this one. Maybe this is like the last gasp because they got they have her makeup and hair right by this point. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is like the last gasp of them not getting Emily physically quite right. Also, the lighting in the Gilmore's house is still wicked dark. So they're still figuring out some sort of like production things. Yeah, because like Babette and Maury's house is like this cozy little farmhouse and everything's perfectly visible. So I am obsessed with their house. It's so cute. I'm obsessed with them. I love them so much. We ship them here on this pod. We ship Babette and Mari. We should have a, an ongoing list of people we stand and ship on the pod. Number one, Babette and Mari. Number two, Gil. <laughs> I like Loki loves the Zach and Lane relationship. Wow. A controversial opinion. You know what? We're sticking up for you. Is that a hot take? It is. Yeah, it's a hot take. And I didn't know this until recently because I love Zach. But I am still, like, I don't like Lane's storyline. Like, oh, everything. no, 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 no. But, like, original, well, actually, original Zach was kind of a jerk. But, <laughs> like, once they get together, I'm very into that relationship. I just wish that it ended up in a, like, better place. I mean, I guess maybe they're happy, but I don't know. The same reason that people don't like the Suki and Jackson relationship is that they don't like the plot in season seven for them. Mm-hmm. understandable so they've sort of backwritten like they don't like the whole relationship because I think Lane and Zach are cute yeah even if I don't like where Lane's life ends up and like there's a lot of discourse online about Amy Sherman Palladino being super anti-sex which like comes through in various yeah storylines or like not being super sex positive we watch a lot of shows because all of us are 30 Rock fans where the female creator is, is accused of not having a pro-sex attitude Tina Fey gets a lot of heat for Liz Lemon's sexual proclivities or lack thereof. So that'll definitely be something to continue discussing throughout the pod. I didn't know that about, that people said that about Amy Sherman Palladino, but I, I mean, clearly, especially with Lane's storyline. Yeah. So the next scene we get is one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. It is a scene that is in the house of Lorelai and Rory. And in the morning, Rory's about to go to Chilton. And there's some mysterious music coming out of the door of Rory's room. (laughs) And Lorelai is kind of grumpy in the morning. And she tells Rory, like, okay, it's time to go. Turn off the music. And Rory says, it's not me. And they open the door and Lane is in there uh, skanking. Catherine, I know that you said that our listeners might not know what skanking is. 
I mean, I hope that they would. I hope that everyone knows what skanking is. Would you tell those of those of who may be younger than us? <laughs> so, okay, Lane is doing a pretty good job, you know, representing skanking. But yeah, it's the dance. Okay, I just thought it was really funny. I linked to the Wikipedia page. Skanking consisted of a quote, running man motion of the legs to the beat while alternating bent elbow fist punches. Yeah, no, that it that that's a pretty good description (laughs) I never would have thought of it as a running man thing but like yeah that is what it is Is like yeah it's a dance that you would do I mean I think of it as being related to ska you would do it like a ska show and then you could imagine how such a such a movement would quickly then transform into uh moshing Wikipedia says a form of dancing practiced in the ska punk hardcore punk reggae drum and bass and other music scenes like I could imagine some skanking at a hardcore show, but I think it's pretty ska specific and Rancid is a ska band. She's skanking to Rancid. Yeah. And that's where the, the really iconic line comes in where Lorelai asks Lane, she says, what does your mom think you're doing right now? And Lane says, and I want to get this right, sitting on a park bench, contemplating the reunification of the two Koreas, to which Lorelai replies, not here, skanking to Rancid. If you don't name the title of this podcast episode, sitting on a park bench, contemplating the reunification of the two Koreas, I am off the pod. (laughs) It's my, like, it's my top five favorite lines in the whole show. It's so good. Oh, it's so sharp. Also, I did want to point out that later the song is called Time Bomb and Pep Alien later does a cover of it. And I think it's at the graduation party, but they do a good job. I love that cover when they do that. Also, Catherine, I can't believe, I mean, you can be a Jess if you would like, but you're also a Lane. I think you're, I think you're a Lane. You can be a combo. Yeah. Cause see, like I have Lane's musical taste for sure, but everything else. Yeah. I don't know if personality wise you're like her. (laughs) You don't strike me as a Jess either. You're so sweet. I was an angry teen. Mm, just becomes sweet when he gets older. But yeah, so then we get the beginnings of the end for Cinnamon. We go outside and poor Babette and Mari are taking this like little cart through the, the sidewalk. I, it's What would you call it? Would you say it's a stroller? It's like a wagon. It's a wagon that they've like <laughs> enhanced. <laughs> for cinnamon it's so cute oh my god it's so cute it has this little like cover in the back uh so when cinnamon wants to take her passeggiata okay can we all try saying it passeggiata <laughs> i can't say it like sally struthers says it oh this is one of sally struthers' best episodes it's crazy that they got her for gilmore girls as like a recurring character yeah, she's great. And Mari is fantastic. I think he's a less well-known actor. I've, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but the Babette and Mari relationship is top five for me throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I know that they're like comedic, they're comic relief and they're doting on their cat. That sort of played for comedic effect. But I do want to say that I really appreciate as someone who is child-free by choice, Depictions of like really healthy, loving relationships that are child-free. I think that's really cool. And I love that. I love their relationship. And 
as they'll talk about later, they have like a late in life relationship, which I think is really nice. Like Babette has already built her house that is, and we can't show this because this is a podcast, but like it's a normal sized house, but all of the counters and doorways are really low and small because Sally Struthers is a small person. She's five foot one. I just Googled her and that's what it told me. Mari is just so tall that he's constantly like bumping into things. He's six, six. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh, he went to Temple, another Philadelphia tie-in, which we'll get to later. This is a big episode for Philly guys. <laughs> Mentioned, we got M. Night Shyamalan. We got Temple alum Mari. This is good. So Lorelai heads off to work and Rory gets on the bus to head to Chilton and our intrepid stalker Dean hops on the bus with her. Does this feel like a Dean move to you guys? It's so Jess. It's so Jess, it pains me. Yeah, they completely changed Dean. And I wouldn't have thought of this as a Jess move until you mentioned it, but it fully is. Okay, I hate to admit this. That's kind of cute. <laughs> I think because Rory stalks him kind of in return, it's less creepy. Like not yeah. stalks. It, like they both, he, she goes into, into dozies and buys a mousetrap and a head of lettuce so she can see Dean. Right. She doesn't know how to deal with her feelings. Yeah. And I guess Dean doesn't know how to deal with his feelings either, but that's just because he's kind of an oaf. Yeah. But yeah, so we have the Dean scene and then we switch to being at Chilton itself for the Chilton bake sale. I will give Max Medina credit for one thing in this episode. He's right when he says that because Suki caters uh, Rory's little stand for the Chilton bake sale. He's right when he says that it's very Henry VIII-esque because it is. Right down to the swan that's like made out of, I don't know, like marzipan or something. That's the sort of stuff that they would have on the table, like at that point. Part of me was worried that I am falling back into like rom-com thinking patterns that were ingrained in me as a, a youth by finding Dean's like bus jumping charming and by finding Max charming. No. Is it icky? Are they icky? Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't think you're jumping back into pattern. Well. <laughs> I also think that Dean is ickier for doing that than Max is for approaching Lorelai at the bake sale. I would like to disagree with you, actually. Really? First of all, the reason that Dean comes to, off as ickier to me is because of Jared Padalecki's lack of acting ability. No, no, that's what I'm saying, that Dean is ickier. He seems ickier, but I do think that the actual situation, if we like took their respective acting ability and lack of ability out of it I think it's more inappropriate for a teacher to like proposition a mom at a bake sale on school grounds than it is for like Dean to get on a public bus that he sees Rory on maybe it's just because Max Medina is more charismatic I mean this is a pod that is a safe space for disagreements and this is the Max Medina Thunderdome after all so let's come in hot I mean okay yeah, let's do, do it. Do I think it's inappropriate for Max to be dating Lorelai? Of course I do. Yeah. But the singular act, divorced of the, like devoid of context of one adult approaching another adult at a semi-public event is a lot less creepy to me than Dean following Rory onto a bus sitting behind her and scaring her. Right, I, I forgot that he scares <laughs> Okay, that's both fair. of these singular events, divorced from the other context and like extenuating circumstances. Yes. Dean getting on the bus is much creepier. 
I would say that you have mostly convinced me. I forgot that he like jump scared her. <laughs> oh, and scares her. She's reading a room of one's own. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dean, the male presence of intrusion upon female creativity and genius. It's actually the story of Dean. It is. <laughs> Daniel Palladino is, is aware of what he's doing here. So I historically have been pro-Max. Grace, anti-Max. Evo, what about you? I really love Max, but I don't think Max is right for Lorelai. I think that's a fair reading. Yes. So I'm somewhere in the middle. All right. Before I go into like anti-Max stuff, I think that the actor is very good. Mm -hmm. I think that the character of Max himself, and I said this last week, has a lot of appealing qualities. Mm -hmm. I think that he's sensitive and he's attractive and he likes literature. And as we learn later, he can cook. And he may or may not know something about Christopher Marlowe. And, and he's nice to Lorelai. And I think Lorelai is, is sexually attracted to him very much. I think that to me is like the most compelling explanation of what's going on here is that Lorelai wants to sleep with him. But I do think that Max as the teacher is behaving inappropriately. I also do want to say though, that like this is a television show and a television show needs conflict. And a good driver of conflict and something that feels like inevitably set up from the fact that Rory starts Chilton is that Lorelai, her young hot mom, is going to date one of the teachers. That being said, I don't love some of the stuff they're doing in this episode with why Lorelai should feel comfortable dating Max. Yes, I agree with that because I also think that like Lorelai gets a lot of heat in the discourse online for being really like immature and like emotionally immature. But she's trying so hard to do the right thing and resist Max. And she's just like throughout this episode is like, no, like this is inappropriate. We can't do this. But he's the one pushing it. Completely agree with you. Technically, it's not in the Chilton employee handbook. Certainly it should be. (laughs) He says several things here that hint at the fact that he knows this is highly inappropriate and is, is like taking steps to hide it. Like he thinks it's inappropriate. So he went and checked the handbook to see if he could get fired for it. And he's like, yes, it's not in there. It's like the Airbud rule. Like, oh, there's nothing in here that says a dog can't play football. You want to pause the Medina Thunderdome <laughs> to talk about Lane briefly because the next scene is Lane and then we can get back into Max Medina stuff. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so it's like a nothing moment. It's like super quick. Rory has asked Lane, like, if she could live anywhere in the world, where would you choose? And Lane says Philadelphia. And Rory's like, why? And she's like, M. Night Shyamalan lives there. And Rory's like, okay, what would you do in Philadelphia? And she's like, hang out with M. Night Shyamalan. My question is, what what the hell? (laughs) M. Night Shyamalan, like, such an icon in, I mean, I know Sixth Sense was 1990, because I looked this up, 1999. But I feel like the M. Night Shyamalan, like, hip new director phase was really short-lived. I also do want to interject for a moment as somebody who does live in Philadelphia and say that in the three and a half years that I've lived here, I've been inconvenienced by not one, but two M. Night Shyamalan productions. (laughs) I got kicked off the public bench I was sitting on because they needed to set up for a shoot in Fittler Square Park. I was so annoyed. This is inside, insider information. Lane is right. If you live in Philadelphia, <laughs> you might be inconvenienced by M. Night Shyamalan or the people that he employs. 
I feel like he was cool. I mean, the sixth sense was like a huge deal. And then Unbreakable came out. And then yeah. like, what is this? Is this all you do? He became like a joke with remember the village? Village. I think that's when the real fallout happened. And that wouldn't happen until like two. I, I I've got this all in my brain now from this morning. <laughs> like, like we've never had any hint that Lane is interested in movies. No. Like, why wouldn't she say like, oh, I want to live in Philly because like XYZ band lives there. But Philadelphia historically does not have like a crazy like hardcore scene or anything like go to D.C. Seattle. Go like she would be so into the grunge scene in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or just New York for CBGBs. Oh, it's a difficult scene to watch. Also, I feel like Gilmore Girls tracks the evolution of Philadelphia from like a city that people were like, why Philadelphia to like the hip ish city that it is now. Like season one, Rory is like, why the hell would you want to live in Philadelphia? And then season six, Jess is opening up a avant-garde poetry bookstore where they give uh, spoken word readings. So Philly really comes up over the course of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I like got a city crush on Philadelphia and I even applied to Penn for grad school and I did not get in. (laughs) I didn't get in there either. I do think that this interaction between Lane and Rory is the first of many that kind of like sets the groundwork for a little bit of tension in their friendship. Because as we'll see throughout this season two, Lane seems like she feels very abandoned by Rory, like going off to Chilton, dating Dean, and like feeling like she is being left behind. And this is kind of like the first glimpse into that because at the end of this conversation, Rory just like really wants Lane to go home so she can go say hi to Dean at Dozie's. And she does like a very high schooly fake out of Lane when she's like, oh, like I need to get something from the store. And Lane's like, okay, I'll go with you. And then she's like, no, 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 let's go home. You need to go home. And Lane's like, my house? I feel like that was such a weird moment. In high school, Tina, if you're listening, I would have fully made you go into Dozie's with me. Yeah. Why doesn't she want someone to be her wing mom? I guess it's because it's related to, so one, I think the central themes of the episode is that both Rory and Lorelai have to like admit to her, their attraction to these guys. Mm -hmm. And I think Rory is at the point right now where she can't even admit like out loud to herself that she's into Dean. So maybe like admitting that she's into Lane, or I'm sorry, admitting to Lane that she's into Dean. (laughs) Freudian slip. There's <laughs> probably some fanfic about that. I was say, there absolutely is. Admitting to Lane that she's into Dean would be a step too far for her because she's like too embarrassed to even say it out loud yet. Yeah, this is something else that we were talking about before we recorded that like all of these parallels between Dean and Rory and Max and Lorelai when the bus scene that we were just talking about before Dean gets off the bus, he says goodbye, Lorelai Gilmore with this like kind of like jokey thing and then later on when at the end of another like max Lorelai interaction that's exactly how max ends the conversation as well we did not pick up on that at all me neither I love that goodbye Lorelai Gilmore it's like writing they wouldn't do later it's it's a little too on the nose I mean apparently not for me and Catherine because we didn't pick up (laughs) (laughs) before we move to the max Medina scene with Lorelai in the coffee shop we have another roll by of Cinnamon in her stroller and doing another passeggiata. And Cinnamon has gotten sick because she ate the clams at Al's Pancake World along with Mari. <laughs> now, here's where we're starting to get the development of the Stars Hollow universe because 
they eat clams at Al's and Lane and Rory are really confused about why you would do that. They're like, you eat clams at Al's Pancake World? By like five episodes later, it's fully established that Al's Pancake World does not serve pancakes and has not for a long time. And only- Doesn't it have like the best Chinese food in Stars Hollow? <laughs> yeah, that's what, she- that's what Lorelai says to Richard next season. In this season, they have Christopher, when he comes, they're like, oh, Al is doing like a salute to Panama or something <laughs> like that. And Christopher's like, did anyone salute back? <laughs> like, congrats, Christopher. That's a funny line. But yeah, so we, we're, we're already getting the ground laid for Al's pancake world is not serving pancakes, but we have yet to have Al's transition into the full cuisine of the world that we're going to know. That's yeah. one of my favorite gags throughout the series. I want a fan menu of Al's pancake world. That would be a fun event for us to do. Like we could make cuisine. A salute to Panama. A salute to Panama. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I, I I wanted to point out that that clams are the hidden danger of this episode. Don't eat shellfish at questionable establishments or ever. Oh, my dad always said never get the seafood at a not seafood restaurant. Yeah. I think that is a pretty strong rule. And maybe real Kirk, almost real Kirk, makes an appearance. <laughs> at least his name is Kirk, so we're getting closer. We've kind of established that this man that we're now going to except that his name is Kark, has many jobs around Stars Hollow. And at this one, he's the new assistant manager at Dozie's. And he approaches Miss Patty and tells her that she has to stop sampling the food. And she just like, he clearly doesn't know who she is, which is not that we, the incontinuity later on strikes back. Because later on, we'll learn that Kirk has been taking dance lessons from Miss Patty from his enti- for his entire life. And so he goes up to Miss Patty and kind of tells her to stop putting things in her mouth. And Rory is right there, too. And there's a really great piece of dialogue between Miss Patty and... Is she talking to Rory? Or is she talking to Rory. Yeah. Yeah, so she is tr- sampling the produce there. And she says to her, quote try a plum it's better than sex and then says are you too young with this and Rory just says yes in a really just like dorky way and so that is what's going on when Kirk approaches her Kirk says to Miss Patty that if she puts anything in her mouth that doesn't belong there he's gonna have to call the police (laughs) which is the throwback to my like sometimes Miss Patty should be disciplined for her sexual harassment campaign that I'm on a little bit we love you Miss Patty but personal boundaries she wouldn't, she, she wouldn't be written like this today. No, Miss Patty would not be written like this today, which I think brings us, so we're going to talk about the Max and Lorelai in the coffee shop scene, because even though Lorelai pushes back on Max a lot, like in, because he asks her out at the bake sale, she says like, no, 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 I can't do this. My daughter, you know, you're her teacher, blah, blah. And they finally settle on like, okay, let's meet for coffee. We can talk things out more there. Would this plot line be written? Do you guys think this way today? I mean, I guess my perspective has changed teaching. Yeah. When I see depictions of boundary crossing in teachers, I just think like, what would I do? Would I, would I be involved in a situation like this? No, because I have boundaries and like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong. As we know, it's not in the Chilton handbook. <laughs> so you can't date a parent, but I don't know. So I just, I guess I feel bad, like ragging too much on this because there's nothing sinister, but it's like, 
sneaky or not I don't know yeah and I think that's the reason that I also have have been opposed to it because when I watched it when I was younger I was like yeah cool whatever Max is cute but when I did the rewatch, I had already taught for a couple of years and I, they really drill into you. There are just boundaries that are not to be crossed. And I think that's a really good thing. I think that's like part of a cultural change. And so while they might write this storyline today, I think that doing something like this would get you in much more trouble than even Max Medina gets in, you know, later in the season. I think this would definitely be in the Chilton rule book. Yeah. yeah. Also like for me, it was his, like persistence while they were at the coffee shop that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He was just so insistent that they go out, which like if he was doing that at a bar would be totally, totally disgusting. The whole episode, he, I mean, he is persistent at the bake sale. He's really persistent here. And I think the way the show wants us to read it is like Max can tell that Lorelai really wants to go on this date. And he's just, you know, trying to persuade her. But even that sounds gross. Like mm-hmm. she, it, she is attracted to him, but she knows that it's, you know, something that makes her uncomfortable and that might make Rory uncomfortable. And so she, and it sort of violates the rules she has set down where she doesn't bring guys around Rory. And the show wants us to root for the relationship. So it's trying to find ways around that, that I don't think are convincing within the logic of the show itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like peak 2000s, like romance equals breaking down a woman's boundaries. Persistency is romantic. Stalking is romantic. And it's just, yeah, we've, societally, we've changed <laughs> for the better. Yeah. I also think, I don't know, the way that the show like sets it up within the broader narrative of the episode is that like, Lorelai realizes at some point, even though like no precipitating incident makes her realize this, that like Rory is growing up and Rory is almost an adult. And we'll talk about this later with like the Bebet and Mari scene when Cinnamon dies. It's like, just as Bebet is going to have to figure out what to do with her life after Cinnamon is gone, Lorelai is going to have to figure out what to do with her life now that, you know, Rory is growing up. And is it time to relax the rules around guys? Is it time to bring Max Medina in her life? So the show wants us to be thinking through that. And that's kind of the logic it it wants to excuse or like sanction the relationship through. It doesn't quite, like there's a middle ground here, right? Yeah. So like, just this whole thing is so icky to me. I like Max. I find him totally devoid of his like ties to Lorelai. Like he's a very attractive man and just, you know, is a seems like a good guy but just the way that he is just he would have no issue meeting a woman in any other context so hot you're browsing in a bookstore and max medina tells you that you made a good choice yeah that's a great meet cute he would have no issue picking up women like he doesn't need to just like try for this one i i also by the logic of lorelei like Lorelai, you know, Rory's getting older. Maybe it's time for a change in the rules. Maybe you can start opening yourself up to long-term relationships, romantic relationships more. But like, you don't need to do that by dating her teacher. Like there are other yeah. options. There's a middle ground. There's a middle ground. Like you can, Lorelai could also go out and meet a guy anywhere. Yeah. And 
like Babette says that, like you, you have that great She's ass. A great ass, according to Babette. Yeah. And Lorelai's like, no, but I want someone who wants me for more than my ass. But Lorelai, you could find that in a lot of other places. So I think that the show like is trying for some weird logical leaps here that don't quite work. Yeah, it's trying to go like one extreme or the other, all yeah. or none. Right. I feel like it could. this could be easily taken care of if somebody just said, why don't we ask Rory what she thinks? Let's ask Rory if she's comfortable with this, you know? Yeah. I don't think Max doesn't say that, does he? Like, no, that's a really good point. Because if, if Lorelai had approached this openly with Rory and said, like, I'm really attracted to this guy and not the way she does later where she's cornered into it um, because he shows up. But like, I'm attracted to this guy, but he's your teacher. Please tell me how you actually feel about this. The fact that she can't have that conversation because she knows that it would make Rory feel uncomfortable means it's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. I brought this up in the last episode, but like, I just really feel for Rory for all these changes she's going through and like everything from starting a new school and having to make friends with these mean kids. She's <laughs> also 15 at this point. She hasn't even si- turned 16 yet. Yeah. And like getting, having to get to know grandparents that you've been told your entire life are like so toxic that they can't be in your life. I mean, she's going through so much and now she's basically being forced to be cool with her mom dating her teacher. That sucks. It's interesting to watch shows from this time period and to see what is portrayed as, I mean, I think it's supposed to be portrayed as romantic, even though we are supposed to know that it's problematic and then it obviously leads to problems it's still portrayed in this really romanticized way that I just know, yeah, it wouldn't happen nowadays. I don't think. You're supposed to be like, oh, I know this is going to cause issues in future episodes, but like, I do like them together. Do you like them together? Yeah, I would like, I think they would be great together if he wasn't Rory's teacher. They have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. They look really good together. And I think that like, and the banter is good in this scene too. Even yeah. though- yeah, agreed on the weirdness of the rap music. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a joke. Like she's just throwing things out to see if he'll agree with everything, or is this? I'm one not to- sure. I've debated this for years mentally because the way that she, like the the last chunk of that like volley of dialogue makes it seem like yes but not quite convincingly. So Lorelai says like, I like rap music. And do you? And Max is like, yeah, me too. And then she says something else. Like, I like Italian food. Max is like, me too. She's like, are you just saying that to agree with me? And he's like, yes. She's like, oh, I knew it. But like, like, everyone likes Italian food. And we know Lorelai has to like Italian food because it's delicious. So does it follow that she also likes rap music? The Bangles, famous rap group. B-52s, like... You know how Lane was, is apparently listening to Eminem as she tells us in the first episode? Maybe there's this secret life of the Gilmore Girls, like people, the characters that they're all listening to 2000s rap music. Lane brought over some Eminem and some Dre and Lorelai was like, this is great. I love rap music. Oh God. <laughs> I'm like imagining Lorelai in like a, like a Death Row Records shirt. No. <laughs> You know, they were like two steps away from having her wear something like that. And then they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's like such a weird thing to say anyway. Like, I like rap music. <laughs> Not rap, rap music. Rap music. It's like very <laughs> early 2000s. It is. And which yeah. one of you mentioned that the coffee shop is named something really strange? Oh, that was me. 
Oh, but I noticed it too. I'm so glad that you did. Cause I was like, wait, did I really just see no fish today? Yeah. That's the name of the coffee shop. The things that I picked up on in this episode were a lot of the like set decoration scene world building type stuff, but that is such a weird name for a coffee shop. Is that a like an inside joke or something? What is that? No fish today. I don't know. Maybe it's just like leftover from some other WB production and they never just like took the sign down. It's just a stock exterior shot. Like a Smallville coffee shop or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they repurposed the back lot that they shot stars, the like gazebo and like that area. They repurposed that for a bunch of stuff afterwards. I know because people are always like tweet about seeing stars hollow in different things. Yeah. They, it was in WandaVision. Oh my gosh. Or at least I think it was. I remember Googling that while I was watching WandaVision. Okay, wait. All right. No Fish Today is a song by Kid Creole and the Coconuts. <laughs> what? From 1982. Do you think, I mean, that can't, that has to be a coincidence, right? Yeah, that has to be a coincidence. Are they a rap group? Maybe it's a reference to Lorelai's secret rap obsession. Yes, that is, yes, it is. It is deliberate. It- Kid Creole and the Coconuts? Yeah, you know the famous band. <laughs> so we are at Luke Steiner, Lorelai and Suki are at the counter having a conversation. Suki's kind of trying to convince Lorelai that she should go for it with Max. Do we buy that that's something Suki would do? I guess. I mean... I think it's more that, well, like at first, Suki doesn't really pick up on what Lorelai's saying. Yeah, I think it's more that she's just like oblivious and she's just trying to like support Lorelai and like chasing after a cute guy. Yeah, it's also kind of implied that Lorelai hasn't had sex in like a lot of years. I think that to me is a part that like if you take that into consideration, the whole Max Medina thing makes a lot more sense why Lorelai really wants to go out with him, even though she knows she shouldn't date Rory's teacher. Yeah, but also I just remember that like Suki is very out of it in this scene. She just keeps like misunderstanding things like, what is it? Life's a funny thing. And, and she immediately says, haha, Jim Carrey. <laughs> like she's just kind of spacey in the scene. So maybe she's not like fully present and understanding the implications of her advice. That's fair. We also get the beginnings of the, um, the Luke and Suki rivalry here. Yes. I I love this relationship. It's just like such a fun, like lighthearted, low consequence conflict. They both do food as their job and they both think that they do food the best. And so in this scene, we see Suki jumping behind the counter and she starts like adding garnishes to people's plate and like recommends adding like a squirt of lemon to some guy's turkey sandwich. And then Luke comes down and yells at her for being once again behind the counter. And it's just stuff like that that makes it so endearing to me. They're two characters you don't expect to like get thrown together or interact a lot. And they have a great chemistry when they do. Would you guys rather eat at Luke's or with Suki? Probably Luke's. I would probably like Suki's food better, but because I'm vegan, I feel like Suki would like sneak in some bone marrow or something. Try oh, to that's true. Me. Whereas Luke would be very understanding if he would make me like some tofu. <laughs> Luke would be vegan friendly. I have heard, I feel like I've heard so much about Suki's food that I just feel like I would really want to try it. But yeah. I do not think as a vegetarian, it is a safe place 
joke later where she's like trying to trick vegetarians. <laughs> Not cool, Suki. Not cool at all. And then we get the tragic news, the, the big loss of the episode, that Cinnamon has passed. We get one of my favorite scenes where the vet is there and Mari and Bebe are just really distraught over Cinnamon's loss. And Mari thinks it's the clams. And he's so upset that he can't even get the sentence out. But the vet assures him that actually it wasn't the clams. In human years, the cat was 260 years old, which is one of my favorite Gilmore Girls lines of all time. I actually tried to figure that out and it's, it's not possible. I think Cinnamon would have had to been like 50 human years. <laughs> Gilmore Girls is a magical place. Yeah. Like when I was convinced that in the revival, like the original Paul Anka was not in it. Like I thought they had done a replacement Paul Anka. Cause so I was like, there's no way that dog's still alive. It was the same dog. Well, <laughs> I looked it up. He was like 15 in the revival. <laughs> to me, he looked younger. So you know what? Who knows what's possible? That's crazy. I have to say though, I, I mean, the loss of a pet is truly such a harrowing like truly harrowing experience and I love that even though there's some humor here that that really comes across that unlike later when they kind of mock Michelle for wanting to have a a funeral for Chin Chin like it's just so understood here that these people are really hurting and I love that yeah and it really sets up well that like this was their like this was their child this was their surrogate child and they're both just so so heartbroken and you believe it too. Like I buy into it completely it's and not just so as, a person, sad. Like as a person and they managed to inject humor into the scene, like with the clam stuff. And with the fact that when Babette went over to like touch cinnamon, she was shooting across the floors because they were freshly waxed. And I think that the, like the way they do that is really interestingly and well summed up in like the next scene when Lane and Rory are walking through the wake and Lane's like, so she shot across the floor. <laughs> And Rory's like, yeah. Lane's like, did you laugh? Rory's like, no. Lane's like, did you want to? And Rory nods. And then Rory's like, but it's sad though. And Lane's like, yeah, it's sad. It's that kind of thing. Like it is, there are a lot of funny moments in it, but ultimately you do get that feeling of like deep loss. Mm -hmm. And it's something I love about the show. Like even the characters who primarily serve like a comic relief function in the Gilmore Girls universe are like really treated as three-dimensional people and they're treated like fairly and they're sketched humanely and I think that's like really the first time we see that is here and it's so good this is hard to pull off writing wise I think yeah I 100% agree with all of that so they have a huge wake for cinnamon who is an honored and loved part of the town in Babette and Mari's weird house the tiny doorways and the tiny countertops and I love the implication too that it's also just that the town knows what a big deal this is for Babette and Maury. And so the whole town is being there to show their love for them, you know? And it just really shows you that Stars Hollow is the type of place that would pull together like that. I haven't even thought about that before, but that's so right. But like they show out not just for Cinnamon, but because they know what Cinnamon meant to, to Babette and to Maury. Yeah. yeah. And Lorelai has this great conversation with, and we'll talk about what happens before and after that, but we can talk about this. Um, this is like the main part of this soiree. Yeah. The main part is she has um, this great convo with Babette. Bab she goes over, Babette's cleaning up and she's like going through the pill cabinet 
the where she has all cinnamon pills and as an owner of multiple dogs and one of whom has a lot of medicine <laughs> they're like going through being like these are the heartworm pills these are for the fleas or ticks she got from taking the heartworm pills these are mine it's just such a funny scene sally struthers puts on a clinic here of like comedy heartbreak acting yeah i will say i, I don't know if i should admit this but i still have like i've had two cats pass away in the past decade one who was very very old so cinnamon <laughs> cinnamon's age um and one who just had a lot of health problems and i still have their i had there were like two pill bottles i don't think that's weird it's sad it's sad and they they really convey that yeah and they turn they do like an interesting writer moment here where they like turn cinnamon into like an analog for rory Mm -hmm. like cinnamon dying is to babette and maury as rory growing up and going to college is to (laughs) lorelei which like i think it works completely well in the scene it's an insane comparison yeah. Yes. <laughs> Daniel Paladino was taking some risks writing this. I liked it though. Like, oh, I love it. When um, Babette is talking about how small Cinnamon was, she's like, she could fit in my shoe. She'd sleep in my shoe. And Lorelai says something about finding one of Rory's baby hats. And she's like, this is so small. I just really love that. Like this validation of, of Babette's experience of motherhood. And it, she just, the way that she says it without even a beat, like, it's not like she's sitting there trying to think like, oh, what do I say to connect with this, this crazy <laughs> That's why it works. Cause Babette's grief is treated by Lorelai and by the show as like entirely legitimate. Mm-hmm. When Lorelai's comforting her, she's not like, oh, this crazy lady, but like, there, there, it's okay. They're like feeling the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think Lorelai like trying to grapple with what it's like when Rory moves on is why season four is one of my favorite seasons because mm-hmm. that's when we really get that to come to the fore in like a really apparent way mm-hmm. I think here it's just sort of like being hinted at plus used as an engine for the max plot so we want to start seeing with how Lorelai deals with that the immediate way we're getting that is like should she start dating Max yeah and then Max shows up <laughs> <laughs> In his, like, what does he drive? Like a... He drives a, a Mustang? Yeah, he drives, like, a bright blue Mustang, which I know that he works at a public school or a private school, but I have questions about how he's financing this car. You make less at a private school. Really? Yeah, for teachers, because you, like, don't get tenure like you do at a public school for, like, you know, school. they're, like, notoriously paid less. Interesting. Huh. At least it's more questions then. Yeah, is Max part of like some sort of illicit car ring? Well, we know he he's, he brags about being discreet. So, what if Max is in the mafia? I think yes. <laughs> like, he does get a thousand yellow daisies somehow. So that must have been so expensive. And Laura like it's a nice ring when he proposes. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Max Medina conspiracy theory. I think. Yeah, Tinder swindler has gotten into my brain. I'm way too ready to believe this about Max. Is Max Medina the Tinder swindler? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I w- case closed. That's our true crime for the episode. Max Medina, potential Tinder swindler slash mafioso. The show is stereotyping Italians, but we'll let it go. It's fine. <laughs> the way Lorelai handles this, I don't love. Mm-hmm. So what happens is Rory 
walks out and sees because Lorelai in the in the confusion and stress over Cinnamon's wake has forgotten that the date is tonight. So Max Medina shows up at Rory and Lorelai's house and Rory sees him and is like, what? And so Lorelai must hurriedly explain that her te Rory's teacher is here to take her mom out. Ugh. We talked a lot about how last week's episode Lorelai showed great parenting. This I would not say is an example of that. No, no. And she like kind of acknowledges the, she like knows that she should have told Rory, but she didn't. And then she, we were talking about this earlier, but when she, when Rora, when I almost just said Rorelai, um, when, <laughs> no, when Rory says something like, when are you going to tell me at the wedding? And Lorelai says, no, I would have at least told you at the rehearsal dinner. Oh, like Lorelai, that's not the approach to take with this. Like you don't go jokey. Yeah. Read the situation. Yeah. Recognize that you made a mistake and like lean into that. Be like, I'm so sorry. Instead of making jokes about like you being Fawn Hall in the Oliver North scandal. Yeah. Like, and I think if we're, we were to like psychoanalyze her, it would be because she knows she did something wrong. And like, she tends to go jokey when she knows she can't get out of a situation. But mm -hmm. I don't think that's what Rory needs to hear. And I think that contributes to the, Rory's feeling that she's kind of like cornered into this. Yeah. And also it's telling that Rory's first thought, and it's really sad, her first thought when she sees Max is, am I in trouble? Yeah. She can't even conceive that like this might, might not be why he's here. Yeah. And she's concerned too, like, she's initially upset because Lorelai's keeping this from her, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. I don't know if I buy that's the reason in real life she would be mad. <laughs> no, but it, like, definitely is a huge factor. Yeah. Right. Like, not only were you dating my teacher, but like, you didn't think I was important enough to tell about it, or you were like hiding it from me deliberately because you knew I'd be concerned about it. Do we think by the end of the episode, Rory is, do we, does her acceptance of the relationship feel earned? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I think like to go back to what we were talking about earlier with this episode trying so hard to draw parallels between what's going on in Lorelai's life and what's going on in Rory's life. Like Rory, one scene later, also finally admits that she likes Dean and it feels like her accepting Lorelai's dating Max is kind of supposed to serve like a proxy almost for her acknowledging the feelings that she has for Dean. Yeah. But not believable in the absolute slightest. Completely true. That's what I was talking about, about like the show's logic in trying to get us to root for the, this relationship doesn't work for me in this episode. Because like it's, it wants you to believe that like, oh, she can accept the Dean stuff. Oh, Lorelai is finally accepting that she's in a max. Oh, Rory is accepting her mom dating Dean because she knows she has feelings for a guy that she can't explain. And like, oh, her mom does that too. But like, that's not how any human being would react in this situation. No. Catherine, do you buy it? No. And I think we're, I mean, we're going to have to revisit Max multiple times <laughs> in the coming episodes and whether or not this is appropriate. And I think even though it's portrayed as romantic in this episode, I'm starting to think that maybe the show, because of the trajectory, is using this as, uh, I mean, I, again, I, we, I, we always say this, we don't want to fall back on Lorelai is emotionally immature, but 
maybe this is just sort of another example of that, like the first clever, attractive guy who shows real interest in her and she just is willing to, I don't know, jump, jump in too quickly. I guess for me though, like, I don't believe that this is the first clever, attractive guy that's shown interest in her because like Lorelai looks like Lorelai and acts like Lorelai. This is the first one that's shown. The world is pretty small. That's fair. But she does take classes at the college and she does work at the inn. So she's interacting with people all the time outside of. Yeah. And she has turned down, she turned down that Chilton guy in episode two. And we do know, she does say she's dated other guys in the past. They just haven't met Rory. Yeah, but think about it. Her social circle is pretty much Rory. Yeah. And Suki, yeah. The guy who like is successful, I guess, with her then is someone who also has a connection to Rory. Maybe that's partially why she's attracted to him. Oh, wow. That's really dark, but it does make sense. I wonder if that that had to be at least somewhat deliberate, but like she- an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah, or that he represent like, that's why she's able to form a connection to him because like, I don't know, she's, he's smart. He's also in Rory's world. Yeah, so that she, she has some sort of connection to Rory, even in her dating life. That is very dark, man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like outside, like outside of any creepy, like Freudian anything, like, you know, that's why I think people often date in their own friend groups. Yeah. She doesn't have to look far for it. I think that makes sense. And the person's already accepted by the people closest to you. So. Yeah. And she knows Rory likes Max. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that makes it inappropriate is maybe one of the most attractive aspects of it. <laughs> That's really interesting. The forbidden fruit. Yeah. Ah! But I also like do think we shouldn't gloss over like the interaction between Max and Lorelai in this moment where he's like, you forgot. And like sh- she reluctantly is like, no, but I really want to reschedule. Mm-hmm. She totally forgot about the date. He shows up and she's very apologetic and he's like very disappointed. But then she agrees to see him again. He's more into her than she is into him. But she still ends up affirming, like, she does the Rory affirming that she likes Dean thing here with Max. Mm -hmm. She has to say, like, no, 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 Max, really, I'm not lying to you. The cat's funeral thing is real. Let's reschedule. It takes them a while to start to actually have a date, but he does come back. Yeah. So this is part one of the Max Kadena Thunderdome. (laughs) He will be revisited. I feel like we've resolved nothing, except that this is incredibly odd. I like that, but it's frustrating. Did we, did we talk about Rory and Dean at all? No, in no. the gnome garden. Gnome garden, I love it. They're surrounded by so many gnomes, guys. And Gilmore Girls later suggests when Jess steals the one gnome, like Pierpon or whatever, that they're all individually named. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Babette and Mari can turn into gnomes? Yeah. Babette like is already basically a gnome. <laughs> she is mari came by and like kissed her and she turned into a person yeah so anyway we find dean and rory in the gnome garden is it too teen drama like cw (laughs) pure you know teen romance it's cute though it is cute i think it's mostly because they play that song that's really on the nose like immediately after she says like wait i'm interested 
it's like truly 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 I want you like oh my god yeah they're still working the kinks out of the music <laughs> but yeah are, are we at any point invested in this relationship no he he has no charisma they have no chemistry at this point he's just a guy he's a dude that's literally the only thing we know about Dean he's a guy who's interested in Rory yeah I think somebody I think it might have been on the Gilmore Guys podcast they were like I've never seen a show that at least initially is less interested in developing its male characters which is like kind of refreshing because like usually it's the female characters that aren't get to, aren't developed and like Luke and Jackson I think we get a feel for but like, and Max Medina but like the show could not be less interested in like developing Dean at this point and also like Jared the other actors are filling stuff out with their performance Jared Padalecki is not giving it the 3D with uh, his acting. No. Like, can you imagine the other people who auditioned for this role who watch this when this show comes out and they're like, that guy? That guy got this part? Do you know who the most inexplicable casting choice on Gilmore Girls is? And we will talk about this ad nauseum when we finally get to this episode. No. For me, it's the dork they picked to play young Christopher in the flashback episode. Oh. <laughs> that to me is like way worse than Jared Padalecki. Long time, that was my favorite episode. I know, I still love that episode, but like, what? But yeah, so we're in the Gnome Garden. Dean's like, you don't like me. Rory's like, actually I do. End scene. <laughs> and you're like, wow, I'm really chomping at the bit to see more Dean and Rory. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's like all that happens. Emily calls Lorelai asks her where she's been because she didn't leave a message because she, if she wanted to talk to a machine, she would have a conversation with her VCR and asks Lorelai why she didn't go to cousin, whatever his name is, funeral. And she explains that she's been at a wake for the neighbor's cat. And Emily says, give me a moment to get my medical dictionary I need to look up an aneurysm to see if I've just experienced one. And then she later on asks if Lorelai will be going to a raccoon's wedding next week, which like two great zingers from Emily Gilmore. Emily's lines in this episode are like 75% classic. She is hitting it out of the park in like hall of fame level zingers territory. And yeah, that's how, that's how we end the episode. Yeah. Oh, and Rory, of course, like, giving her consent to the dating. Oh, right. Yeah, but we don't buy it, so we will return to this. <laughs> at this point in our Max Medina Thunderdome, we're solidly at Undecided. Yeah, and Max Medina does produce some really fun plot moments later in season two, so yeah. I'm a fan of that. I like their bridal shower, the, like, engagement shower, engagement party that they have. I think yeah. that has a really cute look, so I'm not anti all of Max Medina. He's hot. I date him. He should not date Lorelai. <laughs> Grace, when you were listing all of his good qualities, you were like, he cooks, he's well-read, he, there's some, there was one more, and it was like, these are good qualities, but are they Lorelai qualities? <laughs> and I know that we want, like, people who will balance us and, like, bring different things to the relationship, but I don't know. I feel like maybe even from the start, it was not meant to be. <laughs> because he makes bad coffee that's how you know so he can't make a good cup of coffee even if you've never seen it before you're like hmm but Lorelai likes coffee <laughs> whereas with- oh, noted. <laughs> noted 
Whereas with Luke, Luke makes a great cup of coffee. What kind of cup of coffee does Jason Styles make? He probably has an espresso that he doesn't use. I need to bring up the Jason Styles made in Manhattan thing. Oh my God. So I get a text yesterday from a pal and they're like, watch till the end of this. And I was like, okay. And it's a, it's a video of made in Manhattan, the Jennifer Lopez rom-com from like 2002. And the boss who is like promoting her from made to executive or something is Jason Styles. And I was like, I have, I'm so glad that I have developed such a strong Jason Styles brand that Jason Styles content is sent to me. I would also like to note that my father-in-law, who is a huge Gilmore fan, you would never expect, is also a huge fan of Made in Manhattan. <laughs> that movie rules, honestly. <laughs> I've never seen it, but anytime that we're like looking on Netflix or where I don't know, wherever it would be, anytime we pass it, my husband's always like, my dad loves that movie. <laughs> We need to have him on the pod so badly. He can replace me. Like, that's fine. I will give up my spot voluntarily. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Jason Stiles is the bridge. <laughs> oh my God, it really is. I have complicated feelings about Jason Stiles. Catherine and I like Jason as a character. We don't think he's like right for Lorelai. Yes, I think he'd be a fun friend for her. Yeah, I just think he's wildly entertaining. And he's so like not Gilmore Girls. Or like, he seems like a character you wouldn't expect them to write in. So it's very fun. And I like the scenes where they interact. Yeah. I like that scene where they go grocery shopping. Oh, that is one of my favorite episodes. Like Their first, their first date. Yeah. yeah. Should we do our segments? Yes. Fashion. I think the only thing to talk about is the brooch. The brooch. The, the infamous brooch. It's just so freaking tacky. I didn't even notice it. I want to go back and look at it. Listeners, take a picture of the brooch for us. You know what I liked, but I would never wear, and I normally don't like this style. Lorelai, and it's it's kind of too on the nose also for the scene, but when the French, the group of Frenchmen are at the Independence Inn, Lorelai is wearing a Paris cardigan. I like that type of stuff. Like, I don't know, city-specific it's got like Notre Dame and like the Eiffel Tower, but I think it's very understated and I thought it was cute. And then also a real French speaker in that scene always makes me happy. Whenever I've watched like behind the scenes interviews with Yannick Truesdale, I get so taken aback that he doesn't actually talk like Michel. Right, because he's a native French speaker, but he doesn't have the accent when he speaks. Yeah. It's so unsettling. No. Is it, what's her name? Emily Carota? Is that? Yes. yes. She doesn't have an accent either. It's weird. I think the fashion in this episode was pretty run-of-the-mill, like lots of cute pencil skirts and v-neck sweaters, frosted eyeshadow from Lorelai. Bebet and Mary in their all-black ensembles. <laughs> Very uh, bohemian jazz New York. <laughs> when they play, like Miss Patty's playing the bongo drums while Mari is like playing Cinnamon's favorite song on the piano. <laughs> Somber bongos. I want to go on the record to say that I would so hard watch a Babette and Mari spinoff. I think they should do a concert documentary. Oh my god. I would watch that so much. Like a last waltz style Martin Scorsese but with like Mari's band or his quartet. I don't know what he plays in. It almost felt like they were gonna have a spinoff episode when like Babette and Mari were like standing out there looking at the stars which is a really cute moment. 
It just felt like that was going to be like the cutaway to like that Jess Winward circle thing they have, but for Babette and Mark. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate that episode so much. I skip it. I skip it. I, do I don't feel bad about it. I skip it. And here comes the sun. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it could not less. Like, I just can't stand it. It's so bad. Do we have, we talked about Kill More Girls. It's Max Medina being in the mafia. Yes. What else do we have? Pop culture. I just want to point out that the episode is titled after James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, which always holds a special place in my Oh! <laughs> Catherine had to point that out to me. I also did not get it. But yeah, um, Rancid. Uh, we have some, some bangles. We have, you know, rap music. In its entirety. The amorphous genre of rap music. A uh, room of one's own. We're yeah. Reading- Iran Contra. <laughs> That's a big one. Oof. Would have been more timely, I think. I mean, not super timely, but like more timely back then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys want to rate it? Yeah, let's do it. I like this episode a lot. It was good. It was a fun, it was like a very enjoyable watch. I was thinking, I was really going back and forth with this. I think I'm going to give it an eight. At the risk of being unimaginative, I'm going to give it an eight. Well, you know what? Maybe 8.5. I really like this episode. And in fact, like, as I think I mentioned, it, I found it hard to like, even, I don't know, I just like this episode. So when yeah. I was thinking what to talk about, I was just like, oh, I just want to talk about like, how much I like it. I like Babette's house and the, their lanterns and their garden gnomes. And I'm hovering between a seven and a half and an eight. If our comparison pool is just season one, then hard eight. In the context of some of the other episodes, I'm going to have to standardize my rating to a seven and a half. Even in the context of like season one, season two, there's some like the Bracebridge dinner. That is a much better episode. That's a 10 to me. What are your guys' personal 10s? Bracebridge dinner, 10. That's one of them. <laughs> I think the road trip to Harvard is a 10 for me. That one's fine. Blasphemous opinion. I think the season two finale is a 10 for me. Oh yeah. That one is so yeah. good. A lot of the episodes in late season four with like Luke and Lorelai, I think get really close up there. Mm-hmm. Oh, with Luke's sister. Yes, Liz, her wedding. Liz's wedding. That one is so good. That's one of the ones I was talking about when they have their first dance. And then the guy from the one town troubadour who also opens the, the vegetable garden thing, he marries them. Anytime we get to hear Electing Lights by Sam Phillips, you know, it's going to be a great episode. Yeah, those are great. I like... Later ones I really like. I like the season four one. This is a personal choice. I think this is controversial. I really like the one where they do the Festival of Loving Pictures. Oh, yes. I love that that episode. It's so cool. It's so good. Just kind of iffy on it. I don't know why. I don't know. I just love the visuals of it. Like they went so much harder than they had to. Yeah, I do like that. The Thanksgiving one where they do a lot of Thanksgivings. I don't think that's a 10 for me, but it's really- The deep fried Korean Thanksgiving that was- the Hobbit, the sofa, and Digger Styles. That is my Lord of the Rings birthday party. We love the Lord of the Rings birthday party. I've seen that one a lot. That's one uh-huh. that I used to always put in if I was like getting on the treadmill or something. And I was gonna watch something. I do too. I watched that one a lot. I don't know why. It's just like a good one to watch. For me, um, it was Jews and Chinese food in season five. It's after the vow renewal. It's like two episodes later. And Luke and Lorelai are both volunteering with the Stars Hollow production of Fiddler on the Roof. That's one of my favorite 
my favorite episode. But it's I also think. when Rory goes to dinner with Logan and his friends oh. and Marty tags along and he can't afford it. It's so tense. And then like Logan comes in through Rory's window at the end. Dude, how good is Kirk in that role that, that him playing against a small child in Fiddler on the Roof is not creepy? It's wonderful. That's like an unbelievable acting feat. That's See, that's why I love the musical in the revival because it feels like they wanted to do something like that the whole time when you watch Fiddler on the Roof like that episode. I mean, Luke did break the cart to make it harder to pull. So it wasn't all Kirk's acting. That's true. When he when he runs out and freaks, she tripped. Oh, those are so good. There's a lot of other ones I think. I love that episode. Really yeah. Good. But those are just ones that spring to mind. A solid seven and a half, eight. Seven and a half, eight. I'll give it an eight. Catherine's at an eight. This week is one of my personal favorites. Rory's birthday parties. I think it's really good. Yes, I'm excited about that. I'm actually dreading a couple that are coming up. I cannot deal with the aftermath of the Chilton dance. Oh, that's a hard one. I love that episode. I think that's actually, to me, that's a really great one, but I think it's hard to watch. Yeah. And then the next one, when Rory and Lorelai are like in a fight and then Richard- In the hospital. I love that one too. Like so stressful. I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Goodbye. Bye.